Hi, Damien Marcus from 100 Not Out here. MP. Yes, Damo. We all know the importance of having a diary, but who wants a boring old day planner? Not me. Enter the journey of me. Ta-da! The incredible eight-month wellness journal designed especially for wellness peeps like you. Yes, Damo, this beautiful eight-month wellness guide is filled with questions, planners, exercises, reflective notes, and more. Endorsed by the Up For A Chat girls and loved the world over, the journey of me is a must-have if you're ready to live your best life for life. To purchase your very own journey of me and receive a free set of inspirational postcards, simply enter the code COUCH at www.wellandnew.com. That's www.w-e-l-l-i-n-e-u-x.com. TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to The Wellness Guys Show with wellness experts, Dr. Lawrence Tam, Dr. Damien Christoph, and Dr. Brett Hill. Welcome to The Wellness Guys. I'm Lawrence Tam. I'm Damien Christoph. And I'm Brett Hill. And this is The Wellness Guys Show, a weekly show dedicated to bringing wellness to our lives. Damien, Brett, we got a very special guest. We've never covered this topic ever before in the last four years, and I'm really interested in this. Damien? Mm. I'm interested, boys. I mean, I haven't got a pet at the moment. Actually, I do. I've got three fish. But other than that, um, I don't have any pets. <laughs> I don't do a good job with rabbits. They tend to get eaten. But, <laughs> but um, boys, I met this guy um, back in 2014, Bruce. And, uh, and he's a very interesting man. We end up talking more about um, stuff that he does rather than anything else, which I think we kind of got a bit misdirected in our conversation. But I was, I've been busting to interview Dr. Bruce Syme, um, who's an all natural vet. Like he's a holistic veterinary surgeon, which is very, very hard to find in Australia. And, uh, and we got talking and I thought we've got to interview this guy on the wellness guys. Um, Bruce is obviously, uh, you know, fully qualified uh, vet. He, uh, he lectures on natural nutrition for animals, uh, and natural veterinary medicine, which is really important. I think, um, given that animals have no idea how to live, um, in, in our Western world, you know, certainly haven't been bred that way. You would think, um, he's presented the Australian veterinary association conferences. He's a Victorian country veterinary, uh, veterinary conference, um, lecturer as well. And, um, and he's spoken at many breeding and training club functions. So it's, it's an honor for us to have you on our call today, Bruce. Welcome. Well, gentlemen, you are too kind with that uh, glorious introduction, but uh, it's my pleasure definitely to be here uh, joining you and uh, hopefully we'll share a few pearls of wisdom to the general audience that might make them think a little bit more about how they look after their uh, their furry companions. Absolutely. Bruce, um, we have um, on our on our network um, a guy by the name of Kale Brock and, um, and Kale used to be on a show called Totally Wild. And, uh, <laughs> and I noticed that you are also uh, the resident vet um, on on Channel 10's Totally Wild. So, uh, did you have you ever met K- Kale Brock? Um, look, I didn't meet Kale. No, I worked with uh, you now Natalie, who was uh, <clears throat> one of the other presenters, and mm-hmm. I did. I haven't done a work, bit of work with them for a little while now, but I did a regular what we used to call the country vet segment. Mm-hmm. Um, and we basically filmed stories that were based around what a country vet does. So we had some, uh, some a lot of fun, and uh, very much like you guys, it was uh, pretty much a one take wonder, shoot from the hip, and uh, just show people what you do as a country vet. So a lot of fun, I must admit, I enjoyed it very much. Um, but never got the great pleasure of meeting Kyle, unfortunately. So uh, hopefully he'll listen into this, and uh, we'll fire things up. <laughs> oh, that's the best way to do it, Bruce. Just shoot from the hip. That's what we like. Yep. So. Uh, Bruce, tell us what is what makes a natural or a holistic vet. You know, what, what's the difference between you and you know mm. the vet I've got here down in the corner? 
Look, I think probably the most fundamental difference is how we approach nutrition. Um, I mean, one of the sad facts about the veterinary profession is that nutrition really is not a subject that we learn about. I think it's a little bit similar to, to what GPs get trained in the way of nutrition. It's pretty poor. In the veterinary world, I think it's gone one step darker, if that's possible, and that is that the veterinary schools are all sponsored by big multinational pet food companies. So the information that's provided to students generally comes straight from you know, one of the large multinational pet food companies. So it's pretty biased. Um, and it revolves 100% around the concept that feeding dry, dry biscuits or pelleted rations to dogs and cats is all they need. Um, now, you know, for you or I to look at that, we can sort of contextualise and say, what we're really doing is saying to our dogs and cats here, feed the classic Western diet, highly cooked, highly processed, high in carbohydrate, low in quality protein, and your dog and cat will live an exceptionally healthy life. And the reality is, and certainly, you know, after 25 years in practice, I can tell you the exact opposite is true. Uh, the more processed food dogs and cats eat, the poorer their health, uh, the more chronic disease the more inflammatory diseases they have. Um, and unfortunately now, an alarming increase in, in cancer and obesity. So I think it's almost mirroring what we're seeing when, when people adopt the classic, you know, Western diet, which is high in refined sugar and carbohydrate. So we're seeing all the same disease conditions popping up in our pets. Unfortunately, people are not making the connection and the veterinary profession is miles behind. So yeah, in a nutshell, the difference between your average vet is that he will most likely advise you to sell, to sell the or to buy and to feed the pet food that he has in his waiting room. Um, and he probably would tell you that feeding raw food to your dogs or cats is, is you know, ludicrous, dangerous, uh, fraught with, you know, uh, all sorts of problems. So, and it couldn't be further from the truth. You know, I remind people it's what dogs and cats have been eating for 40 million years before we humans came along to interfere in the food chain. That's absolutely true. Um, I think of all the three guys here, I think I'm the only one who actually has a, a dog. Um, <laughs> um, I actually have a Sheltie, and um, yep. she's probably nine years old now. And uh, yep. she, ever since she was born, oh, ever since we actually had her, um, yep. we fed her a raw diet. Uh, basically, she yep. has a, we follow the instruction of the barf diet, um, that was called. And yep. uh, basically, it's all raw food. So basically, yeah, it's raw meat and stuff. Could you talk yep. a little bit more about that so that people actually understand um, why that is so important? Yep. What does it actually consist of? What does a a dog or a cat would normally eat um, because what I noticed is that her fur her coat is absolutely amazing I have a friend yeah. uh, my friend Jamie Richards he he started this uh, like 15 years ago her uh, um, he's beautiful coat 15 years old and the dog has no problems whatsoever um, it's just great to see so let's explain a little bit about the diet so look, the, the concept is very much I mean the word bath which you described there stands for biologically appropriate raw food um, so it's a, it's a synonym that we've basically developed to explain to people that the concept that, you know, I say dogs and cats can't cook. You know, it's a nice, really simple throwaway line. But for me, it was an epiphany or moment <laughs> you know, some 23 years ago when I discovered this amazing fact. Um, and it led me on the path that I've been on ever since. And that is an understanding that you know, number one, dogs and cats have been, as I said, around for 40 million years before human intervention. So their entire system has evolved to process raw meat. I mean, dogs and cats are, are carnivores. They are hunters. Um, cats are an obligate carnival, meaning that there are elements that they can only get in their diet from from uh, raw meat and prey animals to survive. So uh, dogs can survive on a, on a vegetarian sort of omnivorous diet for a period of time, but they never thrive on, on a vegetarian diet. So it is based on the simple premise that this is what Mother Nature evolved these animals to eat. 
Um, the shape of their teeth are very different to herbivores. You know, they have the ripping, tearing, crunching mouth. Um, the acidity level in their stomach is designed to deactivate bacteria that comes in, in meat. And they eat the entire carcass. One of the things that we tend to forget when we look at feeding animals is that they don't go straight and eat the muscle meat, which is what we would consider, you know, steak, beef, mince, whatever. Um, you know, they eat the organ content, they eat the stomach content, which is, again, when, it's a, when they're eating a herbivore animal, they're eating, you know, a mixture of vegetable matter and grass. Um, you know, there may be some grain content in there. So they basically rip into the gut content very quickly and the organs and they actually eat the meat and the bones last. So they do preferentially pick, you know, pick out the eye, so to speak, of the, of the organs and the internal matter of the animal. So when we talk about feeding a raw diet, we're really trying to mimic all of those ingredients, you know, trying to put something together that encompasses muscle, meat, bone, organs, and gut content. Um, and basically that can be very complex or it can be very simple, uh, relative to, to which products you do. So if you're making it yourself from scratch, it can be a little difficult, but I've ended up making a uh, like a muesli mix, really not greatly dissimilar to what Damien does for people, um, to simplify that process where it's got all of the, you know, the vegetable, vitamin, mineral, trace element uh, supplement in there, and you simply uh, sprout that for 24 hours in water and add it to fresh meat. So you can make this concept of bath feeding really, really simple and uh, and easy for the end user. But the basic fundamental premise is that this is how dogs have evolved. Um, you know, their, their enzymes, their pancreatic output, their short gut, everything about their body is designed to process good quality uh, animal protein. And unfortunately, that is not what you get when you buy processed food. Hey, Damo, does that mean I can put meat into my forage? <laughs> well, I've got a photo actually. On the weekend, I was on a boys' weekend, and one of the guys actually chopped up a sausage and put it in his forage. And I've got a photo of it. I'm going to put on. I'm going to put it on Instagram. So that that, you that's, tried going, to... that's going paleo all the way. Isn't oh, it? I know. I couldn't believe it. It looked. As... He ate the whole thing too, which was amazing. But uh, there you go. So yes, you can, Brad. Um, one of the most embarrassing things I ever did, Bruce, um, I, yep. and I'm going to preface this by saying one of the proudest things I ever did was a TV show called Downsize Me. But the uh -huh. most embarrassing thing we ever did ever was this uh, spin-off show called Downsize My Pet. Now, uh -huh. the reason why it was embarrassing was because what they did is they got um, me to help the owner downsize because we yep. found that the dogs were overweight and so were the um, owners. Funny that. that and uh, they did the same thing. And so, uh, and, and whether it be a, a, you know, a cat's owner or a dog owner or whatever, mm -hmm. but the vet that we got basically put them on this science food stuff that came out of a mm -hmm. bag. And I said mm -hmm. to the vet, well, why aren't you feeding the, the animal you know, real food? Um, it looks mm -hmm. like you're just giving them malnutrition because it was, I think, 60 or 70% wheat was the actual yep. ingredients of this particular yep. food product. Yeah. And she said, "Oh no, no, no! That's um, you know, dogs have been bred out of that, and you know, now we we feed them, you know, these science diets. They got it's got everything in there. I said, it's got everything except for life force, right? and so yeah. we had lengthy conversations. But it was so embarrassing for me because um, I was there teaching humans how to eat real food, and he was this vet saying, don't worry about eating real food, just eat packet food um, for the yep. dog because dogs yep. don't deserve real food. And it was terrible. But it seems that it's endemic in the veterinary." Um, community that you just feed them this rubbish food. How can we change that? Well, I mean, look, I, I am making an attempt. I, I do get out to the universities um, as a volunteer lecturer and I go in, it's often at lunch times and I've got to take a few pizzas to get a few of the uh, students interested, but I do actually <laughs> go out and lecture to 
the university students before they graduate and give them at least one lecture on real food. Mm. Um, and it's interesting, their, their ears do tend to prick up because what we're talking about is common sense. Um, you know, it's not rocket science, the concept that dogs and cats don't cook and that they've been eating raw meat for millions of years and that's what they'll thrive on. You know, I remind them, if you go to the zoo, what do you think they feed the, the wolves and the dingoes and the, and the big lions and the big cats? You know, they're not opening big bags of, uh, of items and you can eat pet food, you know, they're giving them whole carcass, that's fur it. and all, guts and all, you know, bones and all. This is how they keep those animals in the zoo in pristine condition because nobody wants to go and see an obese itchy, moth-eaten lion, uh, you know, <laughs> hey, what a picture. so they match the diet that the animal eats in the wild to keep them supremely healthy. And this argument that, that domestic dogs have somehow genetically evolved, and we're talking about in Australia 70 years since the introduction of processed food. So you can imagine how much a creature that's been around for 40 million years has evolved in 70 years, basically none. Um, you know, we've bred them to all sorts of horrible shapes and sizes to their great detriment, not to any benefit. Um, but genetically, um, they are 99.998% wolf. So the reality is that their dietary requirements have not changed. They've not adapted to a high carbohydrate diet. We as vets have adapted to ignoring all of the warning signs, all of the type 2 diabetes, all of the obesity, all of the IBD cases we see and try to blame them on something else. Whereas if we were honest, we would look at diet and go, there's your answer, boys. But you know, it's a pretty big uh, a paradigm shift, I think, for vets to actually acknowledge that, you know, what they've been trained to believe, you know, for the last 30 years is bunkum. Uh, so it's going to take a while, but, you know, it is a growing movement. There are probably more pet owners out there now seeking raw food, um, certainly, than there are vets recommending it. But it's changing ever so slowly. I mean, I, I'd love you know to to find out the magic answer. How do we change it overnight, or how do we how do we promote this concept? The one thing I had I had to uh, come to the conclusion is that common sense ain't that common anymore. Mm. Well, I got an answer for you. I think I hear a show coming on on the podcast. What do you think? Oh, Bruce? I was thinking the same okay. thing. I was thinking, oh, we're going to get Bruce to do a podcast. <laughs> Absolutely, definitely got to do something for all those poor old dogs and cats. I mean, they have no choice. You know, what goes in the bowl is is mum and dad's choice. And if mum and dad aren't educated, then you know those dogs just get to eat what's slapped in the bowl. That's unfortunately no different to kids with parents who have no concept of nutrition. Uh, and we see, you know, the damage of that happening every day in, in schools. So, well, it's so Bruce, I think it's, I think it's fantastic that you're providing these uh, biologically appropriate real pizzas for those students. Mm. I think that's fantastic. <laughs> interesting, <laughs> hey, uh, interesting. interesting. Hey, you've got to use that type of food to, to attract them in, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, I'm really curious as to how people take this, Bruce, because you know I find often when I'm doing talks for people, I'll talk about, you know, imagine there was a pristine rainforest that had been untouched. You know, what could we do to make it better? And people get that, you know, they get that nature is natural and that's the way it's designed to be and that it's in perfect balance and harmony, but they struggle sometimes to get that when it comes to the human body, you know, and mm. I'm wondering whether maybe people might find that less of a stretch to understand why a dog or a cat might need real food. You, what do you find? Yep. Do you find people find it easier to change their pets versus themselves or? Absolutely. Yeah. But, I mean. Well, because of the fundamental thing that I talk to when, I, when I'm getting this message out, whether it's one-on-one -on -one with, a, with a client at my practice or whether I'm talking to you know, 150 dog breeders in, a, in an auditorium, they do get the message pretty quickly because it does resonate. When you explain to them about you know, the history of the dog and cat and how you know, their bodies are finely attuned to it, when you list the diseases that 
is caused by improper nutrition. And I asked them, you know, hands up, who's had a dog that's had pancreatitis? You know, three quarters of the room, hand goes up. How many have had skin problems? How many have obese? How many have got chronic urinary tract? How many have got recurrent ear infections? How you know, the list goes on and on. And before you know it, every single person in the room's got their hand up. And so they can all sit there and relate to the fact that every one of them has got a dog with a dietary-related problem. So when you say, here's one simple solution, and it's based on just simply following what Mother Nature's advice was and just feeding dogs the way they're meant to be fed, um, number one, the message resonates. And number two, it's, it's just a conscious decision they have to make. I mean, they simply make a choice what goes in the bowl. It's not for them a fundamental lifestyle change. You know, they're not going to have to change their taste buds. They're not going to be craving and missing the yeast, the sugar, the things that their body, you know, their microbiomes driving messages to their brain going, eat all this rubbish. The dogs don't have a choice. So if the humans make a mental conscious decision to change to a raw food diet and they put it in the bowl, I mean, the worst thing the dog will do is say, look, no, I'm not going to eat it for a day or two. And then they get hungry and then bang, transition's over. One great thing about dogs is that they're pretty much ruled by their stomach. So, you know, you can pretty much always, you know, make an easy transition to a good, healthy diet. And ultimately, where are they going to get the junk food from? You know, they can't jump in the car and go to the shop. So it is much easier, I think, for people to make that shift because it's not demanding a, a major change of habit on their own behalf. Uh, much harder, I, I gather, from your point of view, when you're asking people to give up you know, certain food groups and certain lifestyle uh, things, you know. I mean, I've been through those changes myself and yeah, some of them you can struggle with. <laughs> so, Bruce, a couple of things, uh, a two-part mm. question, really. Um, regards to the food itself, because uh, we know we add a little bit of supplementation to it. I and mean, obviously mm. it is, is, you know, I just want to know your opinion on supplementation. And also, um, I notice a lot of, like, you know, when you look around and some of the pets are, you know, overweight, uh, just mm. like humans are. Um, you know, it could be also to the, not also the diet is going to be a factor, but frequency of food. Like, for example, yeah. for a dog, you know, um, or a cat, how often should they feed the dog? Because most people do morning and nighttime. And I was told mm. that, you know, they really only need one meal a day. So could you just sort of yep. uh, give us some insight on that, please? Yeah, really good questions. The answers uh, are varied a little. Um, the size of the dog does depend. The larger the dog, uh, the less frequently they need to eat. So large, do large breed dogs have a much slower metabolism um, and they will do very happily on one main meal a day. Um, and again, I educate my clients to feed that in the morning. Most people feed the main meal at night as they do for themselves often. Um, and again, that basically doesn't encourage the metabolism of the dog if they're going to go to sleep on a full stomach. So I certainly advise a big main meal for large dogs in the morning. Smaller breeds do tend to metabolize their food a bit quicker. So, uh, you know, a dog under sort of 15 kilos is probably going to go better with a divided, you know, half the meal in the morning and half the meal at night. Um, or perhaps a larger meal in the morning and a, and a good raw bone to chew on at night, which keeps them busy. That's, uh, that's toothbrushing, basically. And cats are at the other end. Cats uh, are natural grazers. Cats will, in the wild, cats will actually go out and hunt three, four, five times a day. So cats actually do better on multiple small meals. Um, you know, in the ideal world, you'd be feeding a cat, you know, maybe a, a tablespoon of food every couple of hours. You could do it four or six times a day for a cat. But as a bare minimum, you know, they can get away with two meals a day. But the more often you feed them, the less chance there is of obesity. Um, the less often you feed them, the greater the chance the cat will overeat at those meal times. So, um, and treats is the other big killer. People forget um, just how much they actually, you know, feed snacks to their animals. So they get their main meal, but they get a bit of toast in the morning because the owner's having toast. They get a bicky when the when the owner has a cup of tea. So the add-ons on top of the meal 
uh, is basically what tends to cause the obesity. Um, you know, there's this great connection between food and love. You know, I love it when my dog looks at me and, and I give him a bit of food and he's all happy. So they keep doing that because it strengthens their love bond. But of course, the flip side of that is large fat dog. And as we know, fat is not just a, a weight-bearing mechanism. It doesn't just create arthritic changes. It's an organ in the body producing hormones that ultimately increases the risk of cancer. So all of those obese animals out there are at a much higher uh, rate uh, risk of, of developing cancer. And we're seeing that now on the massive increase, which is you know, really scary from a veterinary point of view. Absolutely. We see that with um, you know, feed the dog. Um, crappy food and junks and sweets and all that sort of stuff to get the love mm. eyes from the dog. They do the same thing for the kids, yep. so it's um, very similar yep. sort of familial kind of behaviour. Now, all right, enough talking mm. about cats and dogs. Um, I, <laughs> you know, dogs poo. I don't, that's why I don't like them. Um, yep. But uh, I love petting a dog, but uh, someone else mm. got to pick up its poo. But uh, yep. we're looking at getting a cat at the moment. Um, we've been unsuccessful with uh, looking after rabbits. I don't like to keep rabbits in a cage. <laughs> I really feel sorry, sorry for them, but uh, that's to our detriment because the foxes love them. Um, and uh, so that's been challenging for us. But I was actually told when we picked up our rabbits the first time that not to mm. feed the rabbit um, lettuce or carrots or any you know kind of fresh vegetables because um, the rabbits would get diarrhea from it and then they could become malnourished. Well, mm. um, and so I was then sold a bag of, of grainy stuff. But I kind of thought to myself, well, in a field, a rabbit was likely to go and steal someone's lettuce and maybe grab some carrot um, and maybe get a beetroot or whatever. I'm not too sure what they eat in the wild, but I thought that they would probably eat some grass and other bits and pieces too. Mm. Is there a perfect balance for a rabbit or a guinea pig or something like that? Yeah, look, the answer, I mean, the reason people give you that advice is that most of these uh, rabbits you buy are probably been raised on a commercial pelleted ration. So, mm -hmm. yes, you, you introduce a sudden change to healthy food even, and we certainly see it even with dogs and cats going to raw. You know, if you do a sudden massive change, that gut sort of goes, ah! <laughs> uh, you know, pancreas doesn't know which enzymes to put out, so you get undigested food coming through. So vomiting and diarrhea can be a consequence of any sudden change. But so it's like a detox. So, yeah, basically. So I always say if you're going to do a change, you do it gradually over five to seven days, let the gut get used to it. There's a big change in the gastric acidity when you go on to raw food in animals, and that needs to, to come down slowly with the change. But with rabbits, I mean, the more variety, the better. Um, you know, guinea pigs, again, guinea pigs are like people, the only other animal that doesn't produce its own vitamin C. So you need oh, to be quite conscious with guinea pigs mm -hmm. that you're feeding, yep, that you're feeding, uh, you know, leafy greens that have got a significant level of vitamin C. Um, oh, and not with fruit, rabbits. not fruit. So they wouldn't get fruit. They'd be leafy greens. Yeah, basically because they're little, little creatures. I mean, uh, from South America. So you'd imagine that, I mean, if they did get fruit, it would be fruit that's dropped off the tree mm -hmm. onto the ground, fairly sort of rotten and mushy. I mean, imagine they would still have variety. I think basically uh, guinea pigs would pretty much thrive on anything you're about to put in the compost um, other than whatever else they can scrounge off the <laughs> ground. And, and rabbits are very much foragers. Um, you know, they, they eat a hell of a lot of grass. Good plug. Um, so basically uh, variety is terrific and uh, as a general rule, you know, they'll, they'll pick what they want and they'll leave what they don't want. I've certainly seen that often enough. Um, and if you don't give them, you know, really decent hard stuff to chew on, then, then rabbits end up with all sorts of horrible dental problems. Um, these soft sort of pellet rations don't do their teeth any good and their teeth like horses continue to grow. So they need to be grinding and wearing those teeth down on some pretty tough uh, gear. And again, commercial diets don't provide that. So you create more problems like, on top of that. 
Uh, rabbits are naturally coprophagic, so they naturally eat their own feces, and that's how they restore their, their biotome by constantly eating their it's own like feces. Brett. Brett's the same. <laughs> <laughs> it's your perfect well, pet, Damo. You don't have to pick up on oh, no, How's that? That's great. That never seemed to be the case for us. We've got pallets all over the place, and our rabbits have been gone for quite, you know, maybe six months. There's little rabbit poos everywhere still. Yep. Uh, no one there to eat them anymore. That's why. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> Get another rabbit. Bruce, I'd love to ask you about uh, vegan and vegetarian diets for pets and particularly mm. pets who aren't necessarily vegan or vegetarian. You know, I was in the supermarket the other day. There was a brand of eggs there that were proudly promoting that they had free-range vegan-fed chickens, which I didn't quite get because I reckon those chickens mm-hmm. may have been eating a few bugs. But anyway, they reckon they were vegan. And uh, and also, obviously, people who are choosing to feed their dogs mm. and cats you know, a vegan or vegetarian diet, I guess because of their own personal uh, yeah. beliefs around that and the, the environment and those sort of things, mm. you know, is that uh, you know? Is there a healthy way of doing that? I guess is probably the the main question. Look, it's a really good question. It's one that I get confronted with. Um, I'm usually pretty blunt with my answers. Um, carnivores are carnivores. If you want a vegan pet, get a rabbit. Um, if you want to have a dog or a cat that is a carnivore, then you really are going to go against the laws of nature. And I respect everyone's personal beliefs and how they wish to eat, but to me, it's no. I mean, it's like me turning around saying, you know what, my dog's a Buddhist. Uh, it's kind of like it, it's just completely meaningless statement. There is no such thing as a vegan dog or a vegan cat. Um, by their very nature, you put a bowl in meat in front of them, they will gravitate to it and eat it. So, if you're anthropomorphizing your pets to the point where you're, you know, changing their diet to reflect your own personal beliefs, then, as I said, I think you're far better off to get an animal that is naturally vegan or vegetarian. Um, you know, chickens love meat. It's crazy, but they do. Um, you know, there's absolutely no doubt if, uh, you know, if you throw a bit of meat or a carcass out in the rabbit into the chicken coop, they will all flock onto it and peck it to pieces. And they love their worms. And you're right, they love their insects. So um, you would have to specifically lock these birds away to create a, a vegan, uh, you know, egg farm. They've got the shape yeah. beak for it, though, too, haven't they? Because they're pointy beak. Yep. Yeah. Yep, yeah, very good. I mean, they, they scratch. Basically, when they scratch and turn over stuff, they're looking for bugs, pure and simple. I mean, they literally thrive on that. So seeds and bugs and worms. And so the answer is, uh, yeah, no, no. The, I, I, I have to say I think it flies in the face of nature, um, and I'm not a fan, and uh, I, I don't support people who try to make those decisions because ultimately the only way you can make these diets effective is putting synthetic uh, ingredients into them. So things like... For cats, taurine and arachidonic acid are two vital ingredients that only come from animal meat and animal fat. Um, and if you don't use uh, any any animal uh, protein, then you must use synthetic versions. And look, the golden rule I've always come is that you know synthetics never function as well as the real thing. We obviously you see a lot of different um, you know dogs or a cat or any animals with you know diabetes and pancreas mm. or all this stuff. You know what are some of the things that um, you're noticing a change? Like, and how fast would it be for someone to kind of change their diet? And then what? Mm. I mean, obviously it will vary, but what are some of the like telltale signs for people to be looking out for? Because oftentimes you yep. know humans they can tell you what's wrong. Um, yep. You know animals dogs are can't. you can't. Yep. And so, what are some of the things that people should be looking for, and where should they start? Yep. Look, I think there's a few real telltale things that people will see when they make the change. I get more often the comment I get from people is, oh, my dog's fine. There's nothing wrong with my dog. You know, he's six, seven years old. He's been eating supermarket dry food. He looks fine. And I say to them, well, you know, what, what does his coat look like? You know, oh, it's a bit dull and flaky, but, you know, he's fine. It's like, well, that's a straight away a sign. I mean, a, a strong 
shiny, lustrous coat without any flake is a sign of good health. So a dull coat um, is immediately a sign that you've got problems. Um, you know, the classic dry nose, you'll see then a lot of dogs dry and cracked. Again, that's a sign of deficiency. Um, fecal output, you know, gross as it is, and nobody wants to clean them up, but the smell, consistency, and everything of the fecal output tells you a lot about the internal health of the dog. Um, so I usually say body odor um, is a classic one. People can pick that up, you know, when they pat their dog and then smell their hand. Do they, you know, fall over backwards or do they go, oh, yeah, actually that dog doesn't smell? Um, is the coat shiny? Can you see a reflection in your dog's coat? Um, you know, these are things that people can visually see. And these are changes that will occur within use of changing to a raw food diet. Um, you know, it can be very, very quick to restore health. Um, you know, getting a dog that's had sloppy sort of, you know, soft cow pat feces most of its life to suddenly be producing good firm stools, you know, that you can kick around with your foot and they don't stick to your shoe, that's a sign of a healthy dog. Um, getting rid of flatulence and, and gas and things like that. Uh, doggy breath, you know, the, the old classic, you know, doggy breath is doggy breath. I mean, doggy breath is a sign of gingivitis and gum disease. It's not something that's unique to dogs. Um, it's, it's basically unique to the fact that they have very poor oral hygiene if you don't feed them raw meat and fresh bones to, to clean their teeth. So they're the kind of classic, obvious external signs that people will generally comment on first. Um, longer term, they'll then turn around and go, wow, you know, he doesn't scratch so much or the ear infections that he had have gone. Uh, he's lost weight and I haven't had to change his diet at all. His metabolism sped up. He's got more energy, um, you know, the sparkle in the eye. Um, you know, so the, the signs that people see often, and I get thousands of emails back going, you know, hey, I really thought my dog was healthy until I changed him to raw. And then, you know, oh my goodness, what a difference, uh, you know, I can see now. So... A lot of people assume, uh, maybe like they do with themselves, they think, you know, I'm pretty healthy. And it's not until you make changes that you go, wow, how much healthier could you really be? Um, and that's certainly, I think, as I said, what we see with change to raw food. Ultimately, six to eight weeks is what I would say is the full change over time where the dog's gone through its detox um, and really come out the other side, a new healthy animal. Fascinating. Nicer than reading those those emails that people just go, wow, thanks, Dr. Bruce, you know, this is amazing. And it's so simple. <laughs> yeah, Bruce, this has been amazing. Sorry, I, I lost mm. you guys for a second. So, uh, you know, it's been fascinating, and I'm sure our listeners are going to love this. And so I would really recommend all listeners to go check out uh, Dr. Bruce's site. It's vetsallnatural.com.au. That's vetsallnatural.com.au. We'll definitely put the link into our show notes. Go check it out on the wellnesscouch.com uh, slash the wellness guys. Um, you got so much material here, uh, posts that you actually talk a lot about. You know, some of the recent ones were dental hygiene, chocolate toxicity in dogs, obesity in pets, uh, annual vaccinations, and are they really necessary? Feeding cats a natural diet. All these things uh, are fascinating things. So I really would love uh, for you to, uh, you know, love for you guys to check it out. What, why didn't you talk about the anal gland problem one? Yeah. Well, actually, oh, yeah. I just, and, and, for, and for Damien, for the anal gland problems, for sure. So, yeah. guys, Bruce, thank you so much. Guys. Uh, lost you there for a second, but I'm sure you were saying thanks for coming along and uh, having a good time. <laughs> yes, they really appreciate that. Guys, make sure you go check out facebook.com uh, slash the wellness guys or the wellness couch. Uh, like us there while you're there. Uh, share this podcast with your friends and families and other strangers you think need a wellness update. Subscribe to us on iTunes. And while you're there, leave us a five-star rating and a, leave a comment on iTunes as I lose my voice. Until next week, begin creating wellness into your lives. Lead by example and let's change the world's health together. Join us next week on the Wellness Guys Show. 
This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.